What's up, everybody? Welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney. And I'm Patrick. And we're a husband and wife true crime team. If you're new here. Welcome. Welcome. How are you doing today, Pat? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. Now that my mic's muted, unmuted, like we tried to do a minute ago, yeah, I had we had to tried. retake it. And <laughs> this I actually, is our second take. I actually had to ask you how you're doing because my dumbass forgot to the first time around. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> it's weird because I just got home like an hour ago and it was like, like how was your day? So <laughs> Yeah, we've, we've conversated before this <laughs> a little bit. Uh, what you drinking today, Pat? So in my new style of yeah. evil pudding ways, I'm doing a new, I'm going to try a new beer every time we're... Doing an episode I just like for the that fun idea. Of it. And sometimes maybe you can kind of tie it into the story. I mean, not today, but. No, sometimes it will tie into the story. And uh, today's does not. Only the ones I really know about because mm-hmm. they'll have like some kind of. Because I usually the, surprise you. From the same place or something to do with the story. But yeah. No, this is a. I got a little Land Shark lager today. It's pretty decent. Ooh. And for those interested, I'm drinking um, Kroger brand purified mm-hmm. drinking water. Sponsor me. <laughs> Fucking Kroger brand, three ninety nine a case. That's right. I'm I'm not mad at it. Hell yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of the party pooper today. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Right. Next week I'll bring another different beer in for my case. Mm-hmm. My episode. I'm ex- yeah, it's a patisode next week. Can it hit you with a little bit of Halloween, a little true crime, a little fucked up ass story? I'm excited. I fucking that story has stuck with me ever since I heard it too. So. And then the following week, I'll take over with a spooky episode. Um, this is our month. This is like Evil Pudding's month. It literally is our favorite month of the year. It's spooky season, so we gotta we gotta do it justice here. Yeah, literally, like at the, pudding the Adams time. Family movies with a kid growing up, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, all my favorites. Absolutely. And, and you're a horror movie buff. You know, know me. That, so <laughs> it's on Shudder. You're a fan of it. Before we get into this episode, um, I would like to shout out a podcast that I have been loving. And they just happen to be dear friends of the podcast. Oh, who is this? Beth and Bailey over at True Crime uh-huh. B&B. Yes, yes. Good choice. So stay tuned. And here is the trailer for their podcast. Hi, fans of Evil Pudding. We love Courtney and Patrick, and we're friends of the pod. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we, we are, are True Crime b and We do a podcast every week. We release on Fridays. And every week we'll bring to you two different true crime stories. First, we'll bring you a disturbing story. And then one that will hopefully uplift your spirits a little bit. We'd love to have you listen to our <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so join us every week on Friday. Find us anywhere you find your podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. I don't know anywhere else. <laughs> and also, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime BNB. Did we even mention that we're mom and daughter? No. Okay. <laughs> I hope you join our crime family. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's Beth and Bailey, and we love them so much. Please make sure you check them out anywhere you listen to podcasts and subscribe to them on social media. They have it all. They They, do. They do. They have the Twitter. They have the Facebook. And they have the Instagram. I don't know what I'm missing. They don't have the TikTok, but neither do we. Yeah, we don't really TikTok. We don't TikTok. But they're they're amazing. We love them. Yeah. Yep, we, we have, do the have Patreon. our Patreon, and we're going to do some bonus Halloween content coming up soon too. Well, yeah, we do have some bonus content planned. And speaking of Patreon, uh, 
you know, pay the Patronis get um, first dibs at picking cases that I cover. And they get early access. Yes, like, they this do. This one should be up, like, I think Friday night before everybody else gets it on Sunday. So if you're on our Patreon, you are hearing this a whole ass day before everybody whole else. Whole ass day. Um, but also, this is a case picked by one of our patrons. Uh-oh. Um, they always pick the fucking crazy ones. And it is the same person. I'm going to call her a friend by now. Uh, Jennifer, mm-hmm. who picked, uh, she she was the one that introduced me to the Thomas Sullivan Satanic Panic case. Oh, fantastic. So she is just on her true crime game. I told her at this point, like, she is just Evil Pudding's content, like, producer. She's amazing. Is your mic okay? Yep. Okay. Just messing with it a little bit. It's brand new. We had to get a new mic, so this one's. Yeah, you got a new mic. Tweaking all the settings on it. I'm sure the sound is better. Hopefully. Let us know how the sound is. Oh, it should be. It's We went from the, the regular mic, and we had the extra little nano, Yeti nano. Well, it works. It serves its purpose, but it's not as good as the regular one, so we finally got a new regular one in. Broke down and bought one. Broke down and bought another one. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right into this. And again, thank you, Jennifer, for recommending. I think thank you <laughs> for recommending this case to us. I don't think it's ever a thank you, but thank you. Thank you. Okay, so January 7th, 2007, a train engineer driving by the train tracks in East Knoxville, Tennessee, found the still smoldering human remains of 23-year-old Christopher Newsom. The young man had met a horrific and brutal end. Two days later, Knoxville PD would receive a tip that a group of criminals were hiding out in a rundown house on Chipman Street, just blocks away from where the Newsom's, where Christopher Newsom's body was discovered. Inside that house, in a tall trash can in the corner of a filthy kitchen, Chris Newsom's 21-year-old girlfriend, Shannon Christian's body was discovered. The couple had met the most grisly end I have ever encountered as a true crime researcher, hands down. Wonderful. If you know anything about this case, you know that it is one of the most horrific out there, without a doubt. So that said, I will be giving um, a warning before I get into the details of the crime scene. However, what sticks out to me more so than the heinous details of what these two wonderful young adults endured is the love that their families had for them, still have for them. So although this is going to be a a really tough case to get through, I I have to say that both the Newsom and Christian families are so very inspiring, and I encourage you all to stick around until the end to hear some more Mm. about them. Just the one you were talking to me about the other day without talking yeah. to me? Oh, God. And all that their families do to keep their children's memory alive because they're still to this day very active. So without further ado, let's get into the case of Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom. A little bit of background on the two. Shannon Gail Christian, 21 years old in 2007, was born on April 29th, 1985 in Nacogdoches, Texas, to Dina and Gary Christian. She had an older brother who is really rarely mentioned, um, but I found his name. His name is Chase. After living in Louisiana for a time, Shannon and her family moved to, I think you say it, Farragut, Tennessee. I have in, no idea. In uh, 1997. I do know how to say Nagadoches, though. But Very good. 
Shannon, a beautiful and bright young lady, would go on to graduate Farragut High School in 2003. She then enrolled at the University of Tennessee with aspirations of attaining a sociology degree. Ever the smart, hardworking girl, she held down two full-time jobs while going to school full-time. So she was doing the damn thing. She's a busy girl. To reward her for all of her dedication and hard work, Shannon's parents had just gifted her a brand new shiny silver Toyota 4Runner SUV. And it was definitely her pride and joy, her baby. Yeah, the badass car. It, it really is. Love it. Her mother, Dina, recalled that Shannon, quote, lit up rooms with her toothy smile, fun-loving spirit, and gentle heart. And I would have to agree that she had the most beautiful smile. It's infectious. And, of course, I'll be posting lots of pictures of, of her. But she was just a beautiful girl. Christopher Newsom, Shannon's boyfriend, was 23 years old. He went by Chris and was born on September 21st, 1983, in Knoxville, Tennessee, to Hugh and Mary Newsom. He played varsity baseball at Halls High School, where he would graduate in 2002, so he had lived in Tennessee all of his life. After graduation, Chris attended Pellissippi State Technical Community College, where he trained to be a motorcycle mechanic, but eventually decided to become um, a carpenter. And not just a carpenter, as his parents would say, but he was quite the craftsman. His mother later recalled how hardworking, talented, and artistic her son was. She said that he he also just had the absolute sweetest heart. I recalled reading a story about him in high school where there was a girl. I'm, I'm sure it was a smaller high school. There was a girl who didn't have a date to the dance, so he made sure to take her. And anytime somebody was being picked on in school, he would make sure to eat lunch with them. He was just a good kid. Good kid. And they were our, they were our age. Yeah, Christopher was almost exactly my age. I was born the same year. Yeah, I was about to say, and I was only a couple years younger than me, too. So Yeah. So the two came from somewhat different backgrounds, but both were, by all accounts, wonderful kids. Shannon's family was very upper middle class, whereas Chris came from more of a blue collar um, working background. Not that it matters. Nevertheless, when the couple first met, they hit it off instantly. I watched a documentary, and Shannon's best friend, Kara Saward, was interviewed, and she spoke about a get-together with mutual friends where Chris had laid eyes on Shannon for the first time, and it was literally love at first sight. He was meant to be set up with another one of their friends, and he saw Shannon, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's it. (laughs) And they were together ever since that, that night. So the two had only been together for a few months at the time of this horrendous occurrence. But I would venture to say that they were absolutely enamored with each other. Of course. Young love, spending every waking minute together. Yeah, especially they've only been together for a few months. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's the honeymoon phase still, really. So now, on the night where all of these horrific begins... Uh, begins events began. You can't, you can't combine words. It I can't. You're not I, allowed to do that. I try my damnedest. Though. I know people do that <laughs> in pop culture these days, but you can't like just take random words like beginning events and make begins. I like begins. I'm TMing that shit right there. <laughs> no one's gonna understand it. I'm still not sure okay. how you got that. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> so on the night where this all began, 
Uh, Shannon and Christopher had plans to attend a party with friends. Party! So Shannon drove to her best friend that I just mentioned before, Kara Saward's apartment in her brand new silver Toyota Forerunner. And Kara and Shannon planned on getting to getting ready together at uh, Kara's apartment. And then Chris was going to come pick both of them up, and they would all ride together. Solid plan. Well, while the girls were getting ready, Shannon received a call from Chris informing her that he was running a little late. It happens. So Kara decided to go on ahead to the party, and Shannon assured her friend that she and Chris would be right behind her. Neither Shannon nor Chris would ever make it to that party. Hours passed, and Kara had not heard from her friend. She wasn't answering any of her phone calls, which, as Kara would later say, was highly unlike her. In fact, no one was able to get a hold of Shannon to include her parents, and it was completely out of character for her not to answer their phone calls. She always kept in touch and was very open with her parents. Even if she doesn't answer every time they call, you know, enough people are calling you back to right. back to back to back to back over a short period of time. Eventually, you're going to be like, hey, what the hell? Exactly. I was sleeping or whatever. However, this is kind of odd. Sometime after midnight, I couldn't find the exact time. Uh, Dina and Gary Christian, uh, Shannon's parents, received a phone call from their daughter's cell phone. It was Shannon. She sounded completely normal and told them that she was going to watch a movie with Chris after they got something to eat and she would be home by 3 a.m. Feeling a little more relaxed, knowing where their daughter was, the Christians went to bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's 21, right? Yeah. She's an adult. The following morning, Dina and Gary woke up to find that Shannon had, in fact, never come home. Panic started to set in for real when they received a phone call from Shannon's boss claiming that Shannon had never showed up for work that morning. Again, highly uncharacteristic for this very responsible 21-year-old. Dina, at a loss, went ahead and called Chris Newsom's parents and when they told her that they had not heard from Chris either, they uh-huh. immediately called Kara Soward, the friend's apartment who Shannon had been out the night before. And Kara informed them that neither Shannon nor Chris were at her apartment. The last time she saw Shannon was before she had left for the party. Kara went on to tell them that Shannon's forerunner was, in fact, not at her apartment complex. However, Chris's truck was. A little weird. So he obviously got there. Yeah. And this is the part that's so hard for me to fathom, and I know they have reasons, but I just can't. I I just want you to kind of listen from maybe a parent's perspective. Of course, the next step would be for the Christians to call police and report their daughter missing. However, Knoxville PD would inform them that since Shannon was an adult, they couldn't do anything, and quote, they would have to look for Shannon themselves. That would just gut me. Yeah, it's 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 weird, right? I don't I don't know why they would say that. I would understand if they said she's an adult. It's got to be seventy two hours or twenty four yeah. hours or something. But yeah, just go find her yourself. That's that's a little much. That's a little, that's a little far. Now Shannon's dad, Gary. We're gonna see that he was front and center in advocating for his daughter from the start. Good. In his panic, he had the wherewithal to call Shannon's cell phone provider, and the cell phone company was able to get a ping on her phone. The last call that was made from Shannon's cell phone came from a cell tower 
located in a very seedy part of Knoxville known for drug dealing and prostitutions. Very high in crime. <laughs> high in crime? Yeah. Sounds like it. Shannon and Chris knew to stay away from that area, so this immediately raised suspicion. So Gary organized on his own, without the help of police, a search party to look for his daughter and Chris on that side of town. And lo and behold, after hours of searching, they located Shannon's brand new silver Toyota 4Runner parked on Chipman Street, not too far from where her cell phone last pinged. Gary noticed that the front seat of his daughter's car was pushed all the way back and the back of the seat was laying down almost flat. So there was absolutely no way that his daughter could have been the last one to drive that vehicle. No, and I can tell you that from having daughters. If I get in the car after any of y'all. And it's up to the steering wheel. I hit my face on the steering wheel when I get in the damn thing. (laughs) Inside of her car, it appeared to have been wiped down completely. And none of her belongings were inside. She had an iPad and, you know, several other things that just weren't there. So Knoxville PD were called. And they luckily treated Shannon's car like an abandoned vehicle. And in doing this, they would be able to impound it and uh, process it for prints. Mm-hmm. So that's good. The Christians and the Newsoms were then told to go home and wait, which is something I just could not do as a parent. Right? How do you tell a parent <laughs> whose kids missing go home and wait? I found your car abandoned in an area. We told you, after we told you go fuck yourself, go find them exactly, on your own. Oh, exactly. Now, now we'll go. Now, now go wait. No, fuck you. Sadly, as we will later see. If the cops would have continued to search the area while the car was being processed, at least one life could have been saved. However, that's just unfortunately not the case. I don't know why. Like, it fucking baffles me that the cops did that. And then, you know, and this is coming from my law enforcement background experience. I'm just saying this to say it. Yeah. For those that are new or never listened to the show, used to be military, used to be a cop. If you had a possible missing person, even though they're technically not at this point, but and then the cars in this disarray, and you actually go through the trouble and say, "Hey, we can impound it as mm-hmm. a you know abandoned vehicle because it's, you're saying it's, she's not here, none of her stuff's in it." They're obviously thinking you got to be at least looking at it like something fishy's going on. A little so at least, something suspicious. At least canvas the area. At yeah, least I mean, walk I would, around, I would think. check things out, knock on a few doors. You're not doing anything illegal as a cop doing that. You're just collecting information. You're just checking on things. Well, I'll tell you when they started to canvas the area. (laughs) Way too late. Monday morning, less than 100 yards from where Shannon's forerunner was located. 100 yards. Just a few blocks from Chipman Street, a train engineer found the still smoldering remains of Christopher Newsom. Warning, guys, this part gets rough. So if you need to skip ahead just a little bit, feel free. Fast forward. 80% of Chris's body had been burnt. The only clothing he was wearing was a t-shirt and underwear. He had been shot three times in the neck and the back. One of those shots would have paralyzed him. The fatal shot would have been the one that entered point blank right above his right ear. So the barrel was pressed against. It's an execution. Very much execution style. He had been blindfolded with a bandana and gagged with a sock. His hands were tied behind him with his own shoelace, and his feet were bound together. His body was then placed on the railroad tracks, doused with an accelerant of some kind, then set on fire. 
It was discovered by medical examiners that Chris had been sodomized repeatedly, both by a person and an object. Semen was found inside of Chris's rectum, but due to the intensity of the fire, the semen could not be used to ID the assailant, so it destroyed some evidence. Oh, yeah, it's just one of those things like, this should not be here. Now that the body of one of their two missing persons was discovered brutally murdered, finding Shannon finally became top priority. Yeah, now it becomes a possible kidnapping slash double murder. So, of course, now they're going to bring in the task force from fucking D.C. It was such a priority um, that Sheriff Hutchinson of the Knoxville PD sent several helicopters to do flyovers near where her cell phone had last pinged in hopes that they could find some sign of her somewhere. Days later. During this time, Shannon's SUV was still being processed. It had been wiped almost completely clean, so investigators were starting to lose hope. That is, until they found a bank statement of Shannon's. They tested it for fingerprints, and they found they did find one on that piece of paper right in the corner that not didn't belong to Shannon. So, kind of as a Hail Mary, they ran the print, and it came back belonging to a LaMarcus Davidson, also known as Slim, a 25-year-old troublemaker fresh out of prison. And guess what he was in prison for, Pat? Kidnapping? Carjacking. Carjacking. He had no job, a drug problem, and an outstanding attachment for his arrest for a failure to attend court. So Knoxville PD got in touch with Davidson's parole officer who informed them that their suspect had been renting a house located at 23 Chipman Street. Right Sound where the car was fucking found. Literally less than a block away from where Shannon's SUV was discovered and where the body of Chris Newsom had been found on the railroad tracks. That's not looking good, bro. So immediately, police sent a SWAT team to descend on the house on Chipman Street And it was here that the search for Shannon Christian would come to an end. Let's take a real quick break to catch our breath. I definitely need to catch my breath. And we will be right back after this quick ad break. Welcome back. Oh, yay. Oh, I can't wait. We needed a quick breather. I hope y'all were able to get one, too. I I hope you understand my sarcasm, because Courtney and I were just talking off air. She's like, you know this story? I'm like, yeah, I know this story. All too familiar. I know all about it, and I am not happy about covering it. But I am. I mean, obviously. It's a tough one. It's a good story to get out there for people to get their story out, or for these these two to get their story out. But it's a fucking rough one, man. It's very rough. So you ready? (laughs) Fuck it. Yeah, I got beer. Let's go. Okay. So the police have a suspect. Uh, LaMarcus Davidson. And they found the house on Chipman Street that he's supposedly renting. Fucking sending SWAT. Let's go. So a SWAT team descended on the Chipman Street house of suspect LaMarcus Davidson, hoping to find some sign of Shannon. Inside the house was absolutely ransacked. Although no one was (laughs) home, there were signs that people had indeed been there not long before. Yeah, yeah, obviously. There was food strewn all over the kitchen. Furniture was broken. There was just shit everywhere, you know? When investigators made their way to the kitchen, (laughs) they noticed a tall trash can in the back corner. And trigger warning, this part is horrific. (laughs) 
Inside the trash can, uh, Shannon Christian was found bound and stuffed into five large black trash bags with a small white shopping bag tied over her head. It would later be determined that she had been alive when she was placed into that trash can. Mm. So she most definitely suffered. And I don't want to take away from that. No, she suffocated to death. The medical examiners determined that before she died, she had been kicked and punched in the genital area to the point that she was bruised and bleeding. There was blood pooling. She had also been raped repeatedly and viciously in every way possible, anally, orally, and vaginally. Like her boyfriend, she had also been sodomized by a person and also with an object. It was speculated that both Shannon and Chris were sodomized with a broken chair leg later discovered from the scene. Shannon had been orally assaulted so violently that her gums were covered in lacerations. Damn. This is so tough. (laughs) Oh my God, that poor girl. And this part's rough too. Bleach had been poured in and around her genital and rectal area. I would assume in an attempt to get rid of any seminal fluid evidence. And sadly, and this is awful, bleach had been forced down her mouth and down her throat. She was made to drink it. Semen was found inside of Shannon as well as on the clothing that she was wearing. It was determined later on that in an attempt to kill her, her assailant had tried to strangle her and break her neck without any luck. Before ultimately letting her suffocate to death inside the kitchen trash can. Immediately, I'm trying not to tear up here. This one's so rough. Immediately, Shannon's parents were notified and Gary Christian would later say of the moment he was informed of his daughter's murder that, quote, a very big portion of me died that day, and I can't imagine as a parent. No, that's, that's 100% true. Oh, my God. I can't even put myself into the mindset of first not knowing where my kid is and then hearing that my child had met such a gruesome end. You know, it's just super not just, the, not just that they were gone, but that they were tortured and suffered. Right. So now that both Shannon and Chris have been discovered, priority number one is locating LaMarcus Davidson. And judging by the brutality and complexity of this crime scene, scenes, it was clear to police that surely their suspect could not have been working alone. There had to have been more oh, than yeah. one assailant, one would think. So in an attempt to locate Davidson, police checked the lease agreement for the house he rented on Chipman Street. They discovered that he had been renting that house alongside with his 22-year-old girlfriend, Daphne Sutton. Daphne was located, and she told investigators that the two had been together for quite a while, and she had been living with Davidson. However, she had moved out of the house several days earlier, probably because he was a good-for-nothing asshole bum. Because he murdered two people. Well, no, she didn't know that. Later on, it would be determined that Daphne did have a rock-solid alibi, and she could not have been present while the atrocities were being committed at the house on Chipman Street. So she was cleared. However, she would offer up some very helpful inf- information. Yeah, who's, who's your boy hang out with? Apparently, LaMarcus had been running with a group of troublemakers named Eric Boyd, Latavis Cobbins, George Thomas, 
and Vanessa Coleman. And they had all been crashing out the house together on Chipman, robbing people and whatnot. On Thursday, January 11th, thanks to a tip most likely from Daphne, police were able to locate LaMarcus Davidson in a vacant house on Reynolds Avenue in Knoxville. Upon searching the abandoned house, several items belonging to Chris Newsom were discovered, including one of Chris's size nine and a half Nike shock shoes. So, yeah, you're fucked, my dude. Absolutely good. Davidson was immediately arrested and brought in for questioning. And no surprise here, guys, but upon being interrogated, Davidson told five different versions of the atrocities that occurred the nights of January 6th through the 8th. And each version of events made him look like an innocent little choir boy. And, of course, his friends were all the guilty ones. Of course. So he had nothing to do with it. Even though his fingerprints on the bank statement, he's got the shit. It was his house. He was home reading his Bible. <laughs> he was just. I, you, know, you know what really bothers me? I mean, wow. There's a Everything. lot of things that really bothers me. But something about the, about the whole story that bothered me Ugh. was he's like 20, what, 21? Who? To back, or what's his the back? 25. 25. LaMarcus? Yeah. Yeah. So, this time frame, you know, he's not much younger than me that when I was yeah. around that time. Yeah. I couldn't rent a house with a job that, you know, full-time in the military with, like, perfect, like, backgrounds. Yeah. I, there's houses I couldn't rent. Like, how the fuck does this dude get I a house? I wondered that, too. Maybe his girlfriend had, like, he went through his her parents or something, and he was co-signing the lease. Maybe because it's a bad neighborhood. Or had the lease parole, co-signed. Parole co-signed on it or something. Maybe. May absolutely. I, mean, I don't know how that works, but it's just I'm like, how does this dude rent a house? So it was clear that the police were going to have to go and find the remaining four suspects in order to make any headway because they were gaining no headway with Lamarcus. He wouldn't give up his friends. However, there was just no sign of these guys. Mm, Finally, that was, that was always my favorite part not to not to do that. Like, yeah. I've been on SWAT teams clearing buildings and I've been on regular cops when you're just looking for someone and you're clearing a building and you find nothing I've ever found. Thank God in like my that. time was like that. But I found dead people. I found yeah. dead people, rape victims, all these kind of things. And it's not when you're looking for it, it hits you hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can't even imagine what these dudes were looking for. But my favorite part was always after when you knew who you were looking for. It was like, a, it's weird to say, but it was like the hunt. Like, I'm going to get this motherfucker. Yeah. Like, it's pretty, it's like a this puzzle. This is my job. I'm going to go find this fucking dude. Yeah. You, you want to get him. I'm getting him. Yeah. You know what I mean? The like, bad guys. We want to get the, worst, the bad guys. The worst of things that happened were the more you wanted to go fucking get that. Person. Oh, absolutely. Like, fuck that. I'm getting them. Absolutely. Locked and loaded. I got my, my team with me. We're going. All the pain they've caused. Yeah. And it's, it was almost one of those situations when you're going after him, you're like, I, I, I wish a motherfucker would. <laughs> yeah. Play a stupid game because you're going to get a stupid prize. Yeah. Please. You know what I mean? Like, it's I know. Just- well, finally, inside the house on Chipman Street, investigators located some, get this pet. <laughs> Some rented DVDs. If I had to guess, they were what? Redbox from a Redbox. That was Blockbuster back then, man. In 2007? Yeah. Well, these DVDs had been rented from a store in Lebanon, Kentucky. So this quickly led investigators to a home in Lebanon where the remaining four assailants. (laughs) Of course. Vanessa Coleman, Latavis Cobbins, George Thomas, and Eric Boyd were all arrested in that house. And they knew some shit was going to go down over what they did, so they, oh, they left the area. They left the area. And they yeah. left old boy by himself. Like At the house where police found the four held up, investigators were able to locate items belonging to Shannon, including a perfume bottle and a red purse that contained her ID. 
Mm. You're not smart criminals. As well as a 22 caliber gun belonging to George Thomas. And I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there that the bullets used to shoot them were ding, ding, 22 ding. caliber. We'll get there, though. But all So all of that was collected and put into evidence. And later on, through forensic work, LaMarcus Davidson's prints would be found on the trash bags containing the body of Shannon Christian. And Vanessa Coleman's prints were found on Shannon's bindings, so she obviously had something to do with it. George Thomas, like you said, Pat, uh, his twenty-two caliber was also determined to be the gun used to shoot and kill Chris Newsom. Mm-hmm. As far as DNA evidence goes, seminal fluid belonging to bo- both George Thomas and Latavis Cobbins were found inside of Shannon as well as on her person, on her jeans, I believe it was. Yeah. Luckily, police seem to have all their suspects in custody. Well, I mean, that's, that's some pretty lock-solid evidence against them all. So... What happened? How did we get here? Like, just from a carjacking to this brutality, let's talk about it, okay? Uh, That shit was planned. Upon being questioned, of course, each suspect took on little to none of the blame for the nights in question. However, police wanted to keep talking. He wanted them, they wanted to keep them talking. Mm -hmm. Because through hours of questioning, they were able to piece together what most likely occurred from the night of January 6th until the 8th. And that's smart because a lot of people, when they start telling stories, a lot of times when you're investigating somebody, you want to interrupt them and be like, no, no, that's not what happened because this is is what everyone else is saying. You know what I mean? But you don't because they're they're talking. So just let them ramble because they will talk themselves and everything. And then, like you said, you can piece it together. Like little details are going to vary. But this, what's happening is going to be the same. It's going to be like who did it versus who did it. What's the consistencies and what, that's, You'll be able to, that's and then, what happened. And if you let them talk, they'll just keep talking sometimes. They once, will. Once they get their story out there and they're trying to protect themselves and they think you're listening, they'll fucking just talk. So another trigger warning. We now kind of have a timeline of what happened. So yeah. this, this will be your final trigger warning. <laughs> so on the evening of January 6th, LaMarcus and his band of lowlifes were driving around prowling for a car to jack. They pulled into the apartment complex of Shannon's friend, Kara Soward, where they spotted Shannon and Chris standing outside the driver's side door of her SUV. Brand new SUV. And the pair were kissing and hugging. The five assailants ambushed the couple and threw them into the back of Shannon's forerunner at gunpoint. Once back at the Davidson's house on uh, at Davidson's house on Chipman Street, Chris was sodomized and tortured. He was then dragged to the nearby railroad tracks, where he was shot and set on fire. The crew then returned to the house where Shannon was raped and tortured for hours, likely throughout the night into the next day. Then Davidson felt that she needed to be killed and gotten rid of. So he attempted several times to break her neck and strangle her, but was unsuccessful. That's fucking ridiculous. When she was seemingly unconscious, he then wrapped her in trash bags and stuffed her in the kitchen trash can, where she died from what's called a con- compression asphyxiation, which is basically where your body is so compressed that you yeah. can't breathe. And she probably had broken ribs and all these other things, which made her compress even more. It's just awful. Swelling. It's just, yeah, you're not breathing. Then in a really half-assed attempt to discard Shannon's SUV, they just simply abandon it a block or so away, not even far. 
Two blocks. Didn't even try. Two blocks was too far to walk back. I guess. With the defendant's testimonies and all the evidence obtained, all five were charged with more than three dozen felonies each and indicted. I'm sure you can get them from multiple counts of murder, sodomy, rape, robbery, robbery, kidnapping, grand theft, auto, possession of a firearm. And then you can give them possession of a firearm for each felony they've committed. Mm-hmm. So that was like five more. Yeah. It was determined that each defendant received their own trial. And one judge, Judge Richard Baumgartner, remember that name, Pat? Mm-hmm. Um, he would preside over each of the five trials. So they kept the consistent judge. We'll come back to him. Don't you worry. I'm sure. Also worth mentioning that is five separate trials, separate trials that the Newsom family and the Christian family have to endure. It's, and that the state has to pay for. It's heartbreaking. During each trial, Gary Christian, Shannon's dad, was sat right up front holding a picture of his beautiful daughter to his chest, often seen rocking back and forth. Now, to sum up the trials that occurred in 2009, Latavis Cobbins was sentenced to life without parole for the murder of Shannon. Vanessa Coleman, she, would sh- she was charged with a facilitation of first-degree murder for Shannon and first-degree murder for Chris. However, was only found guilty of facilitating Shannon's death. She was sentenced to 53 years in prison. George Thomas was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and received two life sentences. Eric Boyd was considered accessory after the fact, and also charged with harboring a fugitive. He only received 18 years. Shannon and Chris's family both felt he played a much bigger role and that this sentence was unjust. Yeah, but they just, unlike everybody else, there was no DNA evidence, really, right? Everybody else had fingerprints, obviously. We'll definitely yeah. circle back to Eric Boyd because there was a, a progression in the evidence as, as more... As they looked through the evidence, they found more and more. Afterwards, so, well, right. afterwards. Right. So, yeah, afterwards you have all that time. But in that time, they, they probably just, they just didn't have They DNA. didn't have enough to they didn't prove have a fingerprint. that he, They didn't have his you know, semen. They didn't have, he didn't own the gun. You know what I mean? Now, LaMarcus Davidson, he was considered the ringleader. And he was actually offered a deal to have the death penalty taken off the table in exchange for a guilty plea. However, he rejected that deal. He claimed that he'd rather die <laughs> than spend life in prison. I mean, I can't fucking blame the dude. He was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, robbery, kidnapping, the rape of Shannon, and for facilitating the rape of Chris, he received the death penalty. Now that justice was supposedly served and the guilty parties were behind bars, the families of Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom would have to wait to start the healing process. Because in 2011... Judge Richard Baumgartner, the presiding judge in all five of the defendant's mm-hmm. trials, came under criminal investigation by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations for buying drugs from a defendant who actually had appeared in his drug court, a woman by the name of Dina Castleman. I can't make this shit up, man. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Baumgartner had an opioid addiction and was using his power to obtain painkillers from this woman in exchange for leniency. What's worse, he was also giving Dina leniency in exchange for sexual favors. It was also discovered that he was doctor shopping 
which just means going from doctor to doctor to obtain scripts, scripts, prescriptions, to obtain numerous prescriptions like oxycodone. That was his drug of choice. That was real. That was back in, really back when oxycodone and oxycodone were really big. So Baumgartner stepped down from his position and pled guilty to criminal misconduct. And then every fucking case that dude presided over can now be questioned. However, his two-year suspension was granted. And however, sorry, his two-year suspension was granted what's called judicial diversion, which means that his record was expunged, wiped clean. He did end up dying in 2018. I could only <coughs> assume from <laughs> opioids. Opioids. As a result of Judge Baumgartner's abhorrent behavior, all of the defendants in the Newsom Christian case filed motions for new trials, and all motions were granted 100%. except for Lamarcus Davidson. Sounds like double jeopardy to me, but I guess not. I don't know. No, it's not double jeopardy. So, like the double jeopardy, we, we if they were found not guilty, and the state tried to charge him for it again for whatever reason. Oh, is that what it is? This is because that's I thought why you couldn't be tried twice. You for can't. This. But when a judge mm-hmm. or like a detective is not just come questionable, like mm-hmm. when they when did they are proven like this judge was criminal acts? That means that literally opens up the opportunity to say every case he ever tried. That's why I said that a minute ago, and all his cases could be questioned now. Yeah. So it literally opens up the legal avenue to say. Oh, this judge was on the fucking take or whatever it was, right? Like in this case, it was drugs, but mm-hmm. the judge is on the take. Everything he ever did, so not every que- every sentencing is questionable. Like, can it be by the law or was it by his judgment or who was he high when he did it? Yeah. So it's it's not double jeopardy at all. It's like it's an open book for every fucking case he ever fucking presided over in whatever period it was to be questioned. Most importantly, this means that the Newsom and Christian families would have to endure. Reset through the all process. of this again. It's infuriating. Not just sit through the accounting of the stories and hearing it again, but the time and the waiting and the stress. Yeah, dude, it's fucked up. It is. Every defendant would end up receiving the same sentence as their previous ones, aside from Vanessa Coleman. She came out with a better deal. Her initial sentence, remember, was fifty-three years, and her new sentence was reduced to thirty-five. She also could have made a deal at the. They can also like. Testify against others. We'll see that. Yeah, I'm saying they, that's what I mean. They could be offered a new deal and like, you lost. You got 53 years. If I do a deal. Can I get, get that 25, reduced? Yeah. I'll take that all day long knowing that I'm probably going to go back for 52 years. Now, I told you we'd circle back to Eric Boyd. Yeah. Um, if you remember him, he was only sentenced to 18 years for accessory after the fact. He was the one that had no DNA. Well, thankfully, in 2019, a now 47-year-old Eric Boyd was arraigned on charges of felony murder, first-degree aggravated robbery, aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated rape after new evidence linked him to the rape and murder of Shannon and Chris. Good. One of his cohorts, George Thomas, who was already in jail, cut a deal with the prosecution to have his sentence reduced from two charges of first-degree murder to two charges of second-degree murder in exchange for his testimony against Boyd. Well, I think that takes life off the table. This means Thomas would only be serving two 25-year sentences yeah. consecutively as opposed to life. So he's got two life sentences, right? And Now it's just two 25-year sentences. Now they're, all, they're like, oh, this dude actually needs to be charged with all this shit. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'll make a deal with you. I'll help you get him charged on that shit. If you can reduce my sentence. But yeah, get rid of life. Yeah. And then like you said two concurrent. Was it concurrent or consecutive? Consecutive. So he's still doing 50, but it still gives him a chance to get out, I guess, when he's 70. I guess. I hope they all burn. 
or maybe because it was two fifty-year sentence, he might have been eligible parole at like thirty of each one or something like that. So the trial of Eric Boyd went forward with uh, Thomas's testimony being key, and Boyd was convicted of all charges against him. Fuck he was him. sentenced to two life sentences without parole. No death. During the trial, he was smug and unremorseful. When asked if he had anything to say, he just said, quote, I'm innocent. End quote. <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. We're going to move on to the, the families here in a little bit. But I wanted to talk a little, about, a little bit about what drove these five people to go this overboard, to, to hit this degree of... Depravity. sadism and depravity what because i know that their backgrounds weren't wonderful but nothing like this was it the mob mentality you know i listened to one um podcast god and i can't remember the name it was so good but she speculated i think she uh, has a background in psychology and she speculated that she feels that um lamarcus davidson has shows also of course she couldn't diagnose him but shows signs of borderline personality, antisocial disorder. Could he have just, I know he was a ringleader, but could he have just been so anti-pretty girl since his girlfriend had dumped him? And so he saw a beautiful girl in a happy relationship and just, it angered him and he wanted to just rain terror on them. I mean, I'm throwing, I'm spitballing here. I don't know. You also, we also don't have any kind of like, since it was a couple of days after, I don't know if it's seeing her happy or what it is, but we also don't know. One of the key things to me is I don't know. It's been a couple of days since the time they were, they did this stuff and when they were found. Mm-hmm. Were they on something? Were they fucking drunk? Were they high? Were they yeah, taking drugs? Knows. Most likely on drugs. Other thing you're talking about is that mob mentality, which you see this in a lot of in a lot of these kind of situations with groups. Maybe most of these people aren't like, you know, maybe we rob people or we steal shit, whatever, but they're not like this level. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a group of those, you always know that one dude that like never. I'll really, take things way too far. You're scared of. Like, yeah. you're like, this fucking guy is going to do some shit. So maybe he was borderline, you know, antisocial, antisocial personality, whatever. Maybe coupled with some sort of mental disorder. That we don't know about. Yeah. Yeah, we're not diagnosing him, guys. And then on top of that, He's that guy that will just, everyone knows, like, he's that fucking dude. Like, we covered in a lot of our serial killers. They're mm-hmm. like, him motherfucker will do some shit. Yeah. And everyone's scared of, like, how far he'll take it. Like, he'll fucking kill me if I don't go along with it bullshit. Just pure evil. Well, they all, you know, but regardless you know I mean? like, regardless of what the dynamics were in that for some group. Reason. They all need to be, never see the light of day again. I mean, this is just absolutely, I don't have words to express. No, but Words it, fail me. Crime scenes like this should be, like. You know, not just, I hope they don't see the light of day. It should be, I hope you don't see the light of day. And while you're in prison, this, what you did should happen to you, to you daily. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like, it's real. That's real old Testament wrath of God type thing, but eye for an eye. But honestly, you do something this horrible and you just get to sleep in a jail cell for the rest of your life. No, you should have this done to you daily yep. or weekly. Maybe give you time to feel better from the first one. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Newsoms and the Christians because they're amazing people. Okay. The Newsom family and the Christian family were all just, like I said, wonderful people who endured the unthinkable. Hugh Newsom would later reflect on the last time he spoke to his son. 
He said, quote, our final goodbye to Chris, we embraced his, him in his body bag. We were not able to see him. However, the Newsom family are left with fond memories of their athletic and loving son. Mary Newsom, his mom, would recall the last Christmas she spent with her son. She had asked him what he wanted for Christmas, and Chris responded that he wanted world peace. And Mary said, quote, my God, he has peace now, not in this world, but he's got peace. I hope he would be proud of us. And I would venture to say, Mary, that he is. Absolutely. The Newsoms are both in their 80s now. In 2008 and 2009, there was a Little League baseball tournament held in Chris Newsom's honor at Halls Community Park, where he used to play baseball. A memorial plaque was placed there in his name. Also, in his memory, every year, a senior baseball player from Halls High School, Chris's alma mater, receives a scholarship to go on to play baseball in college. That's awesome. Dina and Gary Christian are sadly now divorced. For years, Gary struggled with a need for revenge upon the five people who so callously stole his daughter's life from him. So much so that there was a time, and he'll talk about this, when he joined a motorcycle gang in hopes to seek out that vengeance. Once a Christian, Gary had turned his back on God and said that he just no longer had any faith. However, during a church service, Gary claims that something the pastor said struck a chord with him, and he started on his journey of healing. He claimed that his faith had been restored, and he was able to move past his intense feelings of anger that lasted for 10 years. Now in his 60s, Gary travels around sharing his testimony to churches and other large groups. His love of motorcycles turned from a means of revenge to an outlet used to keep his beloved daughter's memory alive. He started what's called the Shepherd's RC Riding Club, and annually his motorcycle club hosts um, a ride called the Shannon and Chris Memorial Ride to raise money for various charities. The club also advocates for self-defense, education, as well as personal safety. And I am certain that Shannon is shining down on her dad and his club, and she's so very proud. From both the Newsom family and the Christian family, legal changes were also put into place via the Shannon Christian Act of 2014. Good. The new law puts restrictions on what criminal defendants and their attorneys can do if they try to portray a victim negatively in court. This unfortunately sprung from accusations from a few of the defendants that they claim that Shannon and Chris were at the house on um, Chipman Street of their own free will to buy drugs and the accusation that Shannon performed these sexual acts consensually. And you can imagine how awful that is. As evidence states, that was just not the case. And I'm so thankful that something positive from a legal standpoint came from these horrific admits. Absolutely. You know, positive things did come from this. The House of Horrors, located at 23 Chipman Street, no longer stands. Good. Burn it to the fucking ground. It was demolished, and in its place, a memorial was erected in remembrance of Shannon and Chris, which makes me happy. I don't think anyone should ever build on that land again. That's Fuck that place. <laughs> place is evil. Yeah. I think, oh my God, I think I would tear down the whole street. <laughs> dig up the whole street and turn it into a sewage factory or something. Absolutely. But yeah, this case 
really got to me. It was one of those where I, I researched a little and took a break and then researched a little and took a break and researched a little. I've noticed and, that. And I can always tell how dark the story is that you're working on because your mood's different during the week. Yeah, it's like, rough. I'll come check on you and you're like normal. And then sometimes I'll come like this week, I'll check on you and you're like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to talk. Leave me alone. It's just, just gonna this one play fucking really candy crush because it's all I want to do right now. Got to me. This one, I just want to curl in a corner and cry. No, this is, reminds me of like when we did um, Tina's case. Yeah. You were the same way that week. Yeah. There's been a couple you've done that we you've been like this. I think it hits you. I, I know this case would hit anyone hard. But you look at it differently when you're a parent because you put yourself in like every step of the way. You put yourself in their parents' in shoes. In their parents' shoes. And it's like just from even the few hours that you couldn't hear from your child, I, I would freak out. You freak out. You would out. have to bury me. You watch them in life on a freaking Life360 app and you're like, I know. I'm where stalking. are they going? They're not coming this way yet. I don't know. I'm a stalker. They're literally old enough to go where they want to right now. I know. And see, Shannon was very. Uh, transparent about where she was going and what she was doing that night. And, you know, even then, it, it something can go wrong at any time. And it just makes you never want to leave the freaking house. <laughs> I just don't want to leave the house because I don't like people. Well, yeah. Well, especially after this yeah, shit. No shit. <laughs> Your stories make me hate everyone on the planet. And I just I want to sit in a room and not talk to a human being ever again. Oh, my gosh. So, Pat, are you going to lighten it up for us a little bit next week? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> you you already know the case I'm going to do because this one just fucked with me. Still fucks with me. Oh, yeah. I briefly forgot. Sorry. And then for different reasons, this one fucks with me. And you'll understand why when you hear I, it. Yeah. And at least it's a different kind of uneasy. It's a different kind of dark yeah. and uneasy. It's okay. not as gruesome. We'll go there. It's still, it's it's still, 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 still got some shit to it. But it's yeah, not it does. as gruesome as these awful events like today were. Yeah. But, I mean, there's people dying. Yeah. And it's just the, the ending of this story is just, that's what it was, like you said. It fucked me up. It yeah. still fucks me up, like, how this is the ending of the story. So, it'll be a good one. Well, to end on a positive note, how has your land shark beer been? Um, The first couple were pretty good. And the <laughs> next couple were even better. Did you? You probably needed a beer bong to get through this one. <laughs> And I'm I over did. here raw dogging it with water. And it's not, we don't have the re- <laughs> raw dogging it with water. Very different meaning, but okay. <laughs> I was going to say, there's not even more beer in the room. I have to go get some and I'm almost out. So, like, well, good the thing room. the episode's over. <laughs> and I'm going to go drink all the beer in the other fridge. No, you're not. No, I'm not, but I need to. Guys, make sure you go and check out uh, Beth and Bailey over at True Crime BNB. Yep. And make sure you tell them that Courtney and Pat sent you. Or just say Evil Pudding. That'll work, too. That'll work, too. They know us. They know us, but it's easier easier to remember. You're like, who? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Also, check out our socials. Um, Please. Become a Patreon and and offer up some more cases. We're out on Twitter, you know, Instagram, Facebook. Instagram has all our links on it, the link trees on there, uh, even the link to the Patreon. If you're thinking of becoming a patron of ours, try to do it before uh, the end of October. Yeah, because the end of can, October, we're going to have some of the bonus stuff really coming up. We're going to do the live. We're going to do yeah. the Halloween thing. We're still trying to figure out the format on that one, but we're going to do a little live Halloween on there and a couple other things. Whoop, so. whoop. And you get, you, know, you get to add free episodes early each week, and then... Uh, I'm working on the library to put on there for all of our older episodes ad-free. Yeah, it's a chore. 
but it's worth it. Thank you guys. We love you so much and we will see you back here same time next week. Be good to each other. Bye.